0: Welcome to our podcast, Fateria. We are Lara, Miguel, and Kai. All by today, it's only Miguel and Kai. And we talk about developer life, tech, games, and other things. Today, we're doing another special episode of our you know, A or B series. So we branched out of the main line of the podcast and are going to do an interview with um, J.D. Trask, who's the co-founder and managing director of Raygun. Raygun is a a software-as-a-service company that provides a whole range of services for developers, starting from crash reporting to user monitoring and a few other things. And Raygun made a quite early move towards working remotely and working from home when this whole pandemic thing started to go down. So welcome, JD, and also welcome, Miguel. And I would like to start maybe with JD quickly introducing himself um, and Talking a bit about what he's been doing and how he fits into this whole context.
1: Well, thanks for the, the uh, introduction already, Kai. I think I think you nailed a bunch of it. So yeah, my my name is John Daniel Trask. Everybody does call me JD. Um, as you say, Raygun's a software company. Uh, we are a product business, so therefore we don't actually have a lot of customers that come in and see us a whole lot, um, which is somewhat fortunate in times like this as well. Uh, we're not we're not too sort of um, concerned about needing to close the office. Uh, Yeah, and so um, we, I mean, if you want, I can just jump straight into the the COVID-19 sort of response, if you'd like. I I, I want
0: (laughs) to quickly clarify one thing, um, because some people might know that. So we have a friendship relationship for like a long time, JD and I, but we also have a commercial relationship. So I do some work for Raygun occasionally. And I just want to disclaim that publicly that no one thinks (laughs) like I'm doing sneaky advertisement or anything like that by having JD. (laughs) Yes,
1: (laughs) Yes, <laughs> this is true. This is true. But, uh, yeah, no, you reached out around this because uh, Kai and I have been sort of talking, back-channeling a little bit on some of what's been developing and, and have a sort of mutual appreciation that we, we felt that some of the things that were... Um, uh, some of the plans that folks had were kind of slow moving um, or not enough early enough. And I think uh, that, that was the the driver for, for you wanting to have a bit of a chat around this um, yeah, and how I- we've handled things there. So, yeah. Um, so I, I will dive into it. So to that end, you know, um, started seeing the the information coming out of China. Uh, started, I have some friends that, are, um, are, are over that way and sort of, you know, getting a bit of an understanding of what was actually going on. Obviously, some of the early comments were around misinformation, and it's it's really unfortunate that we live in a time now where, you know, the, the news media has become so politically polarised that we genuinely do have to sit there sometimes going, what do I actually listen to? What's the agenda here? And I think that that was probably... I in a way you could you could say that has been a potential speed bump for a lot of people acting sooner I don't know if you feel the same way I do um, yes yeah um, oddly enough I found Twitter to be a reasonably effective channel for getting an understanding um, there's obviously a bunch of misinformation on there as well you've got to be a bit bit mindful Um not take things at face value I think the bit that stood out to me <clears throat> was once we started seeing some of the numbers around the, the spread rate and the exponential curves um, <clears throat> and I know that uh, I know that uh, we've seen articles in New Zealand from people like Sam Morgan you know and just really trying to highlight the fact that human beings are really really bad at understanding exponential growth right? We yep. just, we, we don't mentally kind of have that model in our head to understand how quickly that gets out of control. Um, and it became pretty apparent, I feel like, about a month ago that uh, this, this whole situation had all the properties necessary to just go bananas because of exponential um, growth curves. And so... to that end uh, you know the early on response was do you do you do something and uh, when everybody's thinking this is no big deal or or do you do you sort of wait to get more information and the way I thought about it was um, firstly we're getting new information very very frequently Um, every single day there was more data points there was more things to learn I know for example Kai you're in a a similar sort of group there where it was like okay what's the status update now and that that was also the bit that really came at home that exponential nature was it's like man this is changing so fast that one week might as well be like six months in a normal sort of cycle we like to talk in tech you know about the speed that tech operates at man we got nothing on this virus Um, you know uh, and so I, I was weighing it up I'm like okay the, the downside risk is potentially quite significant. The, the uh, being maybe laughed at or looking foolish by taking action early. Um, oh, you know, I, I can take a joke. You know, I, can, I, can, I don't mind being hassled a little bit. But once you sort of weighed that up, I just felt like it was somewhat irresponsible to not um, be taking um, action because I'd rather be slightly embarrassed and it turned out to be nothing, then not embarrassed, but with an incredibly sick team, you know, potentially people dying around, around you, you know, like that, that's a pretty big downside. So that kind of outweighed a lot of things. And so um, even early on when I started talking about this at, at Reagan, um, I could, I could sort of see that um, there was some skepticism attempt um, to be honest one of the frustrations is there 's still a little bit of skepticism from a couple of people or uh, and we 'll get to why that is but so we we started running a drill now as as a software company, a lot of our team already will work from home from time to time anyway you know like hey i 've got a, an appointment and they live out of town or something like that so for the most part, many of the team members had that ability to already work from home um but we'd never done it at scale. We never said, what if we just send everybody home? Uh, and by way of background, by way of background for Raygun, for we have uh, an office up in Seattle, and we have our Wellington office, and we have some remote staff as well. So people in Australia and spread around New Zealand uh, on that. Um, in Seattle, one of the things we ended up approving was uh, ear- earlier on was folks going to um, traveling home to their home states, potentially staying with their parents or who might need more care, um, or just feeling uh, like they were had some distance between themselves and Seattle. As some listeners may not be aware, but um, Seattle is one of the sort of American hotspots, uh, early breakout points.
0: The yeah, whole um, Washington State is kind of a hotspot now, really up there.
1: Yeah, and so that, that sort of came up was that, um, you know, Americans do travel quite a bit between, between states, it seems. So um, there was that opportunity for people to get out of state and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and whatnot quite early on, so relatively safe to do so. So they've sort of dispersed to, to various other parts of the, the U.S. Um, and we ended up running a test about, uh, must be approaching two weeks ago now, uh, of putting the whole company working from home for a day and just seeing you know hey we, we run vpns for things internally you know um i know I've, I've got some grief for this on twitter people were like you know like wait a minute like just have everybody have laptops and it's like you know the the ray gun software solution is so large now that actually working on a laptop is a massive productivity killer for most of our engineers laptops just are not as powerful as a desktop machine, um, and so we'd actually moved a bunch of our our engineers onto uh, desktop machines. And so what they would be doing is potentially remoting into those machines from home. We have also offered them to uh, take those devices home if they would like, if they prefer to work that way. Um, there are people with laptops as well, <clears throat> um, and we did this day. And I was up front. I was like, I kind of expect this day to not be our normal level of productivity we're doing it to find out um what parts sort of fall off what where was the friction um and so there's the obvious stuff, like, you know, can a person actually do their work at all? Unfortunately, um, we, we, we did have a person uh, still go into the office. So a, a small example was uh, machines that went to sleep or power settings where suddenly people <laughs> couldn't remote to them. You know? And it was like, oh, okay. So that person in the office could wander over and, you know, jiggle the mouse, hit the space bar and, and wake a machine up. Um, so that was, that was a good learning lesson. Um, and then there was a secondary effect. We did we did talk at our all hands about um, you know hey did anybody have any maybe not complete uh, blockers to doing work um, but just friction. What were the challenges? Um, <clears throat> there there wasn't too much that came out of that, so we sort of fell back at, at, at the management level to having one on ones and conversations with team members just to sort of understand where they where they found issues. Um, The biggest issue I would say, and I suspect this would affect a lot of tech companies, is we we do tend to think in broad terms mostly about the software development side of the business, I think. It's probably fair to say. And it's probably also fair to say that a lot of software developers would generally prefer less meetings, less distractions, and are somewhat introverted, like to be in the zone, and that's all good. So working from home can actually appeal quite strongly to some of those folks. But if you're an extroverted person, or you're in a team like a product team, marketing team, business development, um, management, those sorts of things, they're a lot harder to do when you're just doing things through Zoom calls or mm-hmm. you're otherwise sitting at home. Um, those those folks I've seen have had a, a harder time. Um, and that to a degree has also been a little bit why I've seen, I've been a little bit frustrated with some um, of the response is people kind of going, I've got to go and work in a cafe. I've got to go and do this. And it's like, that's not, no, this is social isolation. It's not just work from home. Um, it's it's social to, yeah. distancing, right? It's like, <clears throat> yeah. If you're, if you're sitting in a busy cafe with your laptop, you you're it's probably worse actually than if you were sitting in an office with the same set of people all day um, you know that sort of thing we've also been kind of mindful that um not everybody finds um being able to work from home um even possible so we've had uh one one staff member in particular where um it would be i won't go particularly into the details but um it would be very challenging to work from home so that they effectively have the office to go to because they can come in and still be by themselves. They're isolated, you know, um, but, but have that as an option. So kind of not forgetting that the office can still actually be somebody else's like isolated office. (laughs) And I
0: guess like given the size of your office and the normal size of your team, you could even easily have like three or four people work from the office and they would still be very reasonably isolated from each other.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely, absolutely true. And so, um, yeah, just being being mindful of that as an option rather than kind of like, hey, is it lights out and no one's there? You don't really need that quite yet. Although I would probably be um, mindful if I was taking things like a bus. I know that that's a, an option that... Um, that many people use and some people don't have other options, but personally in this situation, um, I think it's, it's probably not public transport's uh, finest hour when we're trying to, to stop the spread of something. Unfortunately, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: I, I saw just yeah. yesterday that Metlink, which is our public transport provider here in, in Wellington have stopped to accept cash as like an immediate yep. measure. So yep. there's certainly some movement happening on that end as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um that's that's good to hear. I'm seeing other things like around paywave and, and whatnot. Um I know that for example for folks that are in Wellington, there's an app called Parkmate. Mm-hmm. And so if you're parking a your car and you've got to sort of, you know, fill out which space you're in, you can actually do all of that from your phone. So you don't even have to touch their touchpad. Yeah. Um so that's even better than having a, you know, the paywave sort of tap and pay. Um, this avoids having to touch those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, coming back to to your Raygun situation um, for a bit, what's your team size currently from a development versus marketing versus like I don't know management structure?
1: Yeah, so so Raygun's probably in the ballpark, about 50 employees overall. Um, we do work with some contractor teams that would bring that that number up further, but they're um, sort of running their own plans and, you know, I check in, they seem to be, to be making prudent moves there. Um, <clears throat> within the business, it's probably then about half of it is engineering capability, then about probably 40% is on those growth functions like marketing, um, BD, customer success, that sort of thing. Um, And then the remainder would be in that sort of management leadership Mm -hmm. function uh, within the business.
0: When you were saying that you provided a VPN for people to get to their main machines if (laughs) they want to, Mm -hmm. do you have any other functions inside that VPN that are kind of business critical or is all your other infrastructure more or less cloud-based like GitHub and Slack and all those common tools?
1: Yeah, nearly everything is, is, is cloud-based uh the the main things that are there were yeah for the people that wanted to remote in um so mm-hmm. connecting to a, a machine inside the network um, and then secondly um and this is this is more of a legacy thing for us um, we the, our deployment model is we have what we call our office environment and that is some physical servers that are in the office that run different copies of, of, of Raygun as people are building things and testing them. And then we have our beta environment as an AWS and our production environment is an AWS. Um, and like I say, the, the office stuff is more of a bit of a legacy hangover from um, many years ago when frankly internet speeds were in that, fantastic and so uh we we used to have that in there just to, for quicker turnaround on things mm-hmm. but the team still used them so that's really the the main thing is is the devs needing some access to those office environments or to their machine but that's that's about all of it
0: okay um quite often when i talk to people about remote work or you know deal with other companies that allow or don't allow remote work for their employees or for contractors. It seems to me that there is quite often a fundamental lack of trust, um, to, towards their own employees from a upper management level or even from a middle management level. Is that something you ever struggled with or would you be in the other camp like saying, well, if we hire those people, why wouldn't we trust them to work from home?
1: Yeah. Um, I guess. I guess the view I kind of take is that. Um, I guess I'll start out with a statement that's going to sound shocking, but then when we explain it, won't sound quite so shocking. Firstly, um, I don't. I, I don't. I don't definitely don't fall into the camp of I give people trust before they've earned it. Um, but having said that. Uh, everybody that at Raygun today has absolutely earned that trust where I also see this shaking out. Cause I, I'm personally of the view, I know at the moment it's kind of really hip and cool to be like, yeah, remote only workforce, you know, all you suckers are finally seeing what we're talking about. And it's like, you know, there are significant downsides to an entirely remote workforce too. And, you know, Shock horror! Uh, just like everything in life, the, the the answer is not one or the other; it's somewhere in between. For certain organisations or certain teams, it works better. Um, I have taken the view from the from the very beginning that I I do, you know, the team have earned the trust to to not have me second guess productivity. Also, I'm mindful that um, we're just getting set up on this situation, you know. Uh, therefore, there will be a productivity slowdown. Thirdly, and I think this was a a really apt point made online a bit is I'm seeing a lot of people saying, um, how do we help our teams work from home and what's the productivity levels we should expect from them. And it's, it's, it's important to remember this is not just a work from home situation. It's a work from home during a global pandemic where people are scared and afraid. There's disruption coming uh, from all angles, whether it's, these people dealing with stress like I have friends that have bought holidays overseas where they can't get refunds yet and they're dealing with all of that stuff and so expecting to have a one-to-one productivity exchange is is a mistake but then having that trust to be like I don't think people are going to be deliberately shirking work just because they're working from home they're dealing with other things and the question came up like what are we going to do if the school's shut you know because frankly having kids around is really hard and it's like You know, it is. It's very hard to deal with that. Um, And that's a good example of why this is not just a work from home situation. Um, So I'm kind of going, uh, firstly, I do, the, the team have earned the trust. Secondly, productivity levels will probably fall because of all of the stress and other things. Secondly, we haven't been doing this a long time. We're going to find additional friction points. Where I actually think this will land is that there will be certain teams like engineering that will probably kind of actually become wildly more productive because of that isolation. And there'll be other teams uh, that rely much more on those sort of ad hoc conversations that will probably lower their productivity, mainly because of the friction introduced to being entirely remote. Um, and so at the end of the day, probably going to shake out to being much the muchness. You know, we'll go back to the office and some of the engineers will decrease productivity due to just distraction. Those other people will will return. So so it's a bit of a long answer and a bit bit more complicated. Um, yeah. But I've also sort of reminded um, our leadership team, you know, now is the time for some compassion, not skepticism about deliverables.
0: My my feeling is also when this whole thing is over in like 12 to 18 months, because that's what I think realistically it will take at least that exactly the same teams that will benefit from potentially a higher productivity like engineering will probably be the people who are going to ask for regular working remotely. And you might end up with situations where all of a sudden you know, you still have an office. I don't think offices completely go away, but you might end up in a setup where half of your whole company rather wants to work remote in their home office. And a lot of the business ad hoc kind of conversation type functions come to the office potentially.
1: Yeah, I suspect we'll have some folks that want to do that. Um, Again, though, I think it's up to each employer on how they manage, how they want to run their business and how, how they manage that culture. Um, you know, I often say to folks, you know, uh it's really easy to criticize any business for a way that it operates, but the fact of the matter is not every business is trying to be appealing to every single person. Um, it would be the same as you sort of trying to to make sure that the entire world falls in love with you, Kai. Now, this would be very easy for you to do, but you know, um the it's, it's just kind of going, actually, you have your own personality. That appeals to some folks. It doesn't appeal to others, you know. Um, yeah, correct. So I, while, while that could happen, <clears throat> you might, for example, find that um, as much as engineers do like to be left entirely alone, um, maybe that makes it quite difficult for the overall business to execute and therefore it's not tenable. Um, who knows? But uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm finding this whole thing super fascinating from a learning standpoint for me even uh you know as as uh, the ceo of the business <clears throat> um we talk about leadership well you know i'll be I'll be honest on a day-to-day basis leadership to ceo is not actually that much of a task you know you've kind of put in place some of the direction people are generally executing to it there's a couple of questions that come up you kind of help disambiguate some of those things um this is a time where you actually kind of go all right uh, yeah, some proper leaderships needed here to to make some some harder decisions to to call some things out and set some standards. Um, so it's been that's also been interesting. But the team as well are also discovering and learning a whole lot of different things through this time.
0: Um, when we talked before the podcast, actually over Twitter, you said at some point that you got some really mixed feedback from other people in the tech industry by going that early, um, going remotely. Yep. And I want to kind of talk about that in a bit of a wider context because we think, or I think there are a lot of organizations that don't think they can offer remote work or don't want to offer remote work for a variety of reasons. And in in certain sectors, there is kind of a
1: bum-on-a-seat culture. Some of these companies are thinking, you know, like, why did we go so early? Well, part of that is, um, for me personally, I was just curious to see what would happen. You know, like what, even when we did the first one day at home, you know, what are the bits that are going to break? And, and further to that was saying, you know what, COVID-19 might turn out to be complete bullshit, may not even be a big thing, right? That, that was that a few weeks ago, that was a very real possibility. Um, however, you know, here in Wellington, um, we have a lot of earthquakes You know, there's all sorts of things. And I've really struggled with this uh, a wee bit because I saw it as a great opportunity for us as an organization to go, right, you know, before this has the potential to turn into something big, let's actually see how do we handle an emergency situation. Um, Now, if there was an earthquake, maybe the remoting into your work machine might have been blocked, might have been a problem. Um, There would have been some other things. So it's not a perfect one-to-one, but it's a good opportunity to get yourself ready and actually test your business. I've never been an operator that has been like, you know, no, no, no. The second, you know, we're, we're off the tools, we're losing money. We've got to go, go, go. And, and that is a privilege in our business is that we've built it to be a, a strong, sustainable company from the get-go. I understand that not all businesses are in a position to sort of say, hey, let's just see how this goes um, and find out. That could come at a terrific cost. Um, but I've seen it as an opportunity to really test your businesses like risk mitigation, you know, disaster recovery, all of those things. Um, and so that that was a, a pro reason to go early. to Kai, to your point about having some folks go, um, you know, hey, that's that's a bold move, or I didn't expect you to do this. Um, turns out, unfortunately, uh, you know, I was kind of right that this was going to turn into something big. Um, I wish I was kind of wrong on it, but I had folks that that did query that, that then at the start of this week had sort of had that realization, you know, and I think that's what we're watching as human beings. We tend to watch something bad happening for a period, wondering if we're going to actually get impacted and it gets closer and closer and closer. And at some point, you know, your, your, your internal switch flips and you go, shit, i got to do something here. I think in New Zealand that started the weekend just being, and so even within a matter of a few days, the people that were like, "Well, why are you doing this?" were like, "Oh shit, I have to do this, and I haven't had an extra week or two to prepare." Um, so, sorry again, long, long answer on that, but that—that that was a little bit of it. It's like emergencies are going to happen. Um, you know, if—if if, in fact, if you endure me, um, you know, this is something that we talked about as well, Kai, is that these folks who are really angry that people are buying up supplies. And it's like, well, is that a bit frustrating? Sure. You know, it's a testament, however, to the fact that everybody has largely been ignoring the get an emergency pack before there's an emergency. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it sucks that there's a bunch of people uh, who have left that late. Um, Frankly, we had an earthquake readiness kit and there were a few things we thought we should have, we should get to augment that um, for a pandemic. Um, but the bit that blows my mind is most of the people that are um, packing a major sad that other people are buying stuff, um, they don't have an emergency kit to fall back on. They're actually sitting there casting stones out at folks, kind of happily acknowledging that they just planned for the world to operate as normal. Um, you know, and unfortunately, that's the problem. The rational thing would be under this particular scenario is that you just go and get what you need. The problem is you get a little bit of irrationality, start going to the system and suddenly it's not rational to sit back. Um, and that's that's why we're having to manage the fear as well. You don't want to panic, but you know how, how do you manage this?
0: Yeah, it can be quite hard. What is the situation in Germany right now? Because the last time we spoke about that was like nearly a week ago, Miguel. Have more companies sent people home over there now?
2: So the situation with the the startups in Berlin, for example, is that the streets are pretty empty on the startup hubs. I remember Lara last week, for example, that had to go to the office for one thing. And when she went out, there was absolutely no one waiting for the bus. And at that time of the day, there's usually a lot of people out there groups of people that are going out and also startups that are um, employees that are going out from the startup and then go getting home. There was absolutely no one. And in in her case, she was driving because we wanted to avoid public transport. So it was, it was completely, completely empty. Um, The thing is that for example, restaurants are closing half closed this week already Um, in the evenings. uh, Bars are completely closed. And now the police is even going to the parks to to this, to disband the groups of people who are well, we don't have bars now, but we go to the parks to hang out. So now the police is going there to tell them, "Well, you should not be doing this um I wanted to ask something because I have been receiving during this week lots of emails from different companies saying our compromise with the coronavirus. Like, I bought something once from a company, and now I'm getting an email telling me, Yeah, no worry, because we're going to be keeping up our service. And I would like to ask JD about um, if you have um, explained something to your customers and if you expect to have some sort of downtime.
1: Yeah. So firstly, no, I haven't, I have not, uh, had us uh, send an email to everybody, uh, in our customer base about it. Um, it felt like it was a unnecessary B, uh, I was already getting those emails and found them really frustrating and <laughs> C. um, again, we sell it, we, we sell our products to tech teams, right? Um, they, the idea that, our business somehow is going to stop operating or have some sort of interruption for them is, is not, is not really likely in, in this sort of disaster anyway. Um, so it's not, it's not a huge concern um, around that, so therefore we didn't see anything. We have had a couple of customers contact us about what our business continuity plan is, and that I think is the better way. If there's customers that are truly concerned, they can reach out. We of course do also have a uh, customer success team that work with some of our larger customers. And so they uh, can have been sort of working with them more to understand, you know, are there issues at, at our customers' end? And is there things that we can, we can help with there? Um, you know, we've had uh, a handful of customers who sell software into industries that are extremely affected by this. And so they're, you know, laying people off and, and maybe looking to reduce costs. And so we've been working with some of those customers to say okay well how do we how do we make this that you can still have the solution that's going to help make sure that your products work well with perhaps providing some sort of relief through the next uh, the next period um, you know we're all human beings we're all in this together so so working with it that way but yeah i'm I'm not a fan of you know." emailing everybody. I think I got an email from Noel Leeming, which is like a random retailer here in New Zealand uh, that, you know, I bought something at maybe like five years ago and I'm like, I, I don't need to know what you're doing about COVID-19. You know, I um, wasn't about to run down and buy a refrigerator. Uh, so yeah, it's, I think, I think they're kind of overplaying it. I think though, the, the interesting thing is you can sometimes get a feel for um, everybody's talking about this, right? So I can see how companies end up thinking they'll, they'll send this stuff out.
0: When the Raygun team now works from home, do they have like a work from home or like equipment budget in general? And I, maybe I knew that or you told me at some point, but I totally forgot.
1: Um, no, uh, we, don't, we don't have an explicit budget per se. We did go and do things like buy a... Um, a bunch of webcams and various other supporting equipment but we did that in a centralized way rather than giving individuals the, the the capital to go do it um yeah but um it's something i've thought about one of the bigger things we've been sort of talking about is how do we make sure that uh we keep people calm and how do we have fun so um that after this this uh podcast actually um for the rest of the day i've actually got to get dressed up into something we decided we were just basically do who could dress the most horrendously you know uh today for all of our calls (laughs) so we have our all hands and um we have a you know work from home channel where people are sharing uh pictures out their windows so like you know we have one staff member who posted a beautiful photo today from uh from wyoming where he is uh, at his parents place um you know things like that just trying to have a bit of fun and that kind of leads back to that point about productivity i'd rather just keep people kind of a bit more chilled out and feeling like this is, this is manageable than, than really cracking the whip on things. Um, yeah. So
2: I'm a bit curious about first level support or to say if you don't rely on a third party call center or something like this.
1: Yeah. So, so Regan doesn't use a third party <clears throat> call center, um, and, uh, rightly or wrongly. And, um, my, my engineering team would probably tell you wrongly but the customers would tell me rightly uh, we tend to um, escalate most well not maybe not most might be about half now of all of the support tickets will actually end up in the hands of engineers because we actually build a technical product for technical teams our customers usually appreciate talking to a person who can kind of talk code with them about it um, so we haven't we actually don't have any um, dedicated first-line responders, for example, which you'd say, hey, well, if that one or two people get sick, you know, what, what's going to happen? Um, it's actually something that's rotated across about half the company. I'm also, the, you know, one of the co-founders of the business, so um, effectively everybody... At Raygun can triage support. Um, you know, it, it doesn't. It feels like yesterday when I was the triage person doing that, even though it was now a few years back. So that that hasn't been a big concern. But um, for for me, it, that's been the thing that a few customers have reached out to understand, like what happens if you know, um, you know, what is the plan at Raygun? And we've talked to those customers about it, and um, they've been they've been happy with that. Um, certainly, having everybody working from home though does just help mitigate the risk that um if one staff member does get really sick that any other staff members necessarily get sick yeah okay cool are we done people (laughs) (laughs) yeah the virus is over kai we're all finished we're going back to the office now Uh, yeah (laughs) that would be so nice I tell, I tell you what, as a general point on that, I've been super impressed at the rate of research and breakdown of the general, um, you know, the you know, RNA sequencing, DNA sequencing, all of that, you know, and kind of looking back in the 90s and thinking, gosh, this would be something that would take months um, and wouldn't feel possible. Uh, it does kind of give me some confidence that um, when we have these situations uh, we, we as mankind can kind of help figure out how to solve them faster and given you know 100 odd years ago most people didn't have a light bulbs. sort of situation you've got to feel like the the window on a pandemic kind of comes to a close hopefully in in 50 to 100 years of being able to sort of say hey here's this thing okay sequence it identify the solution get this this out to folks um, so that that's where I'm I'm optimistic with technology in the longer term around these sorts of threats uh, and lastly I think it's, it's actually a weirdly nice thing to have something where the entire of mankind has a unified uh, thing to get behind. We've had some very divisive years um, and I'm not saying everybody's behind it yet and I'm, I can see some people trying to politicize it but at the same time it, it's nice it's a bit different.
0: It's interesting, right? Like I've been following the research from quite early on as well when the first shutdown happened in Wuhan, basically, and then the first papers got put out onto Lancet.com and stuff like that. And it is amazing. And I think we have to be really grateful to a lot of people in China making samples and and early research available that we are already that far in towards finding a solution. And I just saw the other day that... um, in the U.S., somewhere, the first vaccine vaccine trial started with humans, and yep. they skipped kind of the animal trial um, phase for that because they wanted to get something out earlier. But even that will take another twelve months until it's considered to yep. be safe. At the end of the day, but I mean, you're right. Like in the times of SARS and like you know other outbreaks in the '90s, that would have been unthinkable to get even to that stage that quickly. And one other point I want to make about the you know the whole world coming together. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I see currently a lot of nationalism coming back again, and maybe not that much in New Zealand um, but in Europe definitely when I look at like the European Union and how every member state or even you know states within the member states in some cases do their own thing, they basically don't give a hoot about like the next state, you know, and the virus doesn't stop at a border really. It's just like, that's a silly idea to think like if you close the border within the Schengen zone, the virus won't, won't make it over because people just use the, you know, green border if they don't, can't use the official border crossing. I think I'm not sure if, if the European Union particularly will come out of that as the European Union that we know before the pandemic, to be honest. That would be another interesting political thing to to watch.
1: It'll be interesting to watch. And to your point about borders, I mean, I've got Twitter open beside me here and and I keep seeing this debate come up where people are like, you know, traveling and I'm like, you just shouldn't travel. It's like, but you'd want to see your family, you know, or, you know, and, and I sit there and I'm like, you can, you can be angry all you want, but let's be very, very clear here. The rational thing to do is not to travel. Right. The emotional thing, and I totally under, I can Mm -hmm. empathize with it, is that you want to be with your family. But let's not, you know, we've spent a good few years talking about, you know, facts over feelings. And the fact is, you probably shouldn't be traveling and bringing things, you know, spreading, spreading things around. And that can be really, really hard. I know I wouldn't want to be separated from my family. I totally get that. Um, and I totally understand why some people then make the, the choice on uh, traveling to, to see family. Do I think it's the best decision? No, I do not yeah. think it's the best decision. But I'll, you know, I, I just hope a lot of people aren't making that decision that way and are able to keep a calm and more rational head around it.
0: And it would be lovely. That was a really nice way to, to close this little chat. Thank you so much for joining us, JD. And thanks so much for staying up late, Miguel. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed this quick sidestep from the normal Code Cafeteria podcast line. And we'll be back in about a week with our normal episode seven, I think it is, right?
2: Yeah. Cool. We have to decide a topic yet. So, yeah,
0: we haven't worked out that. We have. We had a plan, but that plan got kind of thrown over by the whole pandemic thing. And we might or might not stick to that plan. We'll see.
2: Yeah. That, maybe we not, can talk about Animal Crossing, which comes out today. I was so, just going to say that because Animal Crossing will is be already topic. out here
0: in New Zealand. And that will probably be a nice topic for next week's podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Doom Eternal is also out today. If you're, yes. Uh, if you're yeah, yeah, you're fan. right.
0: On the switch, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. Well, a PC if you want to play it on a you know decent device, but um. <laughs> yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> I actually did see a preview around that. Not, to, I know we're wrapping up, which was saying it's a, it's a much more difficult game at the higher difficulty levels, and and the reviewer really struggled to play it on a console versus a PC. So, I'd be very curious to hear how you find it on the Switch for uh, similar things because they've doubled the number of enemies, and therefore you know the quick being able to target do controllers make that easier or harder than a mouse and a keyboard?
0: I mean, like, shooters are generally harder on consoles, I think, and trickier
1: to play. I can't play them on consoles. That's actually the reason why I'm a PC Master Race kind of guy. Okay. (laughs) I can't play well on consoles. (laughs) That is
0: cool. Sweet. All right. Thanks again, JD. Thanks again, Miguel. And I hope everyone has a lovely rest of the day. And wash your hands, people.
2: See ya. (laughs) Thanks, Kai. Thank you. Bye. Oh, that was awesome.